it was rough, dude. I didn't notice. I didn't notice how big was my ego until I, I hit rock bottom, and I was like, I can't be a good for nothing, washed out athlete. I gotta, like, my kids are not gonna feed themselves. I'm not gonna pay for my life with my trophies. That's a past, and, and that's gone. That's all my trophies are, my medals. That's all what it is. It's a reminder of a, what a good time I've been having for the last 20 years. But it's time to move on. Welcome to an all-new Riders Lounge podcast. I'm Steve Summerfeld, the guy you're unfortunately going to have to listen to in the middle of this kick-ass podcast with a freestyle motocross rider who, despite being in the autumn years of his FMX career, continues to push his own riding and is still riding at the top level to put pressure on the young whippersnappers. He's the 2011 Night of the Jumps FMX World Champion, X Games medalist, ex-pilots winner. He stood on the podium at Red Bull X-Fighters over the years, hailing from Chile in South America and now living in California, USA. One of the funniest guys to have on tour to break that competition tension, it's Javier Villegas. As you know, I try to keep these podcasts as evergreen as possible, that if you're listening to this in five or ten years' time, it's still relevant. But this time, I am breaking my own rules I set for the podcast that I want to talk to Javier about what is happening right now in his life. And we're in the middle of this COVID-19 rubbish. And maybe it's just the start. No one really knows. But if history is anything to go by, we're at least in the middle of it. And there's plenty more waiting before we can resume normal life. So if you're scrolling through this podcast in five years time, you'll probably hear the start of this and think, I really don't want to listen to anything more about COVID-19. I've had enough of that crap. Well, I don't blame you, future listener. I feel like COVID-19 has actually been a rehearsal for a lot of athletes in any sport to show them what their lives will look like after they make the decision to retire. And like most athletes who find out they're good at something at generally a very young age, they have been focused on that one particular sport their entire lives to become the best. And you can't be the best by studying full-time or working a nine-to-five job unless you're incredibly naturally gifted or you just didn't study hard or work hard. And so here we are one year on since the last major event and Javier is one of the many riders who has found himself wondering what in the world he's going to do until we can all go back to doing what we want with the freedom of travel, riding dirt bikes and having fun. Of course, COVID has affected everyone, but in particular, I wanted to talk to Javier about what it meant to him living in the good old US of A and what it meant to lose his only form of income from the past 20 years, freestyle motocross events, and what he needed to do to continue until when we hope events can return. Maybe that's this year in 21, 
Maybe it's in 2022. I don't know. Maybe it's in 2025. I'm sure it won't be, but who knows? But before we kickstart this new episode, I do want to let you know that this podcast wouldn't be here without the support of the Rothaus Brewery from Germany. As most of you know, it's partnerships like this in motocross in particular that keep our sport and also the ancillary aspects of the sport, such as this podcast, alive. As you've probably guessed, I have taste tested many beers in my life and I couldn't be more stoked on the fine Tannenzapfler range from Rodhouse, which also includes the alcohol-free version, which I've spoken about a lot over this podcast over the last year, and it tastes just like the real deal. If you like using brands who support the sport in some way, then you can't look any further than Rodhouse. Actually, just a quick shout out as well. If you're looking for some Writer's Lounge podcast merch, I have a link to the shop directly in the show notes here. I'm just doing it for a bit of fun, but I had so many messages about the first couple of designs, especially the Levi Next Gen Ramp, which are the correct measurements on that shirt, and the J.O. Archer Triple Flip Ramp, which, to be honest, surprised me. That was about the peak of my artistic limits, and I have to say a huge thank you to everybody who's commented and sent through photos of you with your new shirts or coffee mugs or whatever else. It's been awesome, and I'm working with some friends, actually, on some new designs because I can't do any more. So let's see what we can come up with. Ah, and actually, one last thing. What did you think of the new intro music? There's a little story about it towards the end of this episode on where it came from. And I think you might be thoroughly surprised how this new intro music came about. Anyway, now it's time to catch up with the man himself, Javier Villegas. It's awesome to get you on. I'm really sorry because I had planned to do this with you back in, must have been March last year. Yeah, because I remember we talked about this and you told me, yeah, I will get you on the next stop. And that stop never happened. I got home and they shut down the frontiers. (laughs) Man, you were lucky to even get home. Like, when did we do that event? We were in Berlin, February Uh, 21, 22. And then the next week they closed Germany. So yeah, when things were starting to get serious. Yeah. So yeah. we're we're a bit late. We're a year on from when I wanted to have a chat to you, and I definitely didn't want to do it over the internet because this is crap. But it's better than nothing because I don't know when uh, when things are going to get back yeah, up and yeah. running. I would love to say in August, September, and October we've got Night of the Jumps booked actually for Cologne. Basel in Switzerland and Munich in Germany. So fingers crossed we'll see you in August. But if we don't, we've got this one and we'll get it out of the way. No, how's everything going over there? Well, uh, here California seems to have stricter uh, mandates than the rest of the United States. And people here are freaking out, getting pissed off that people's like not going back to normal, but like having more free, like, range of motion let's say and uh here in california they're keeping things uh kind of tight so i mean i i don't know i mean i'm okay with it it sucks not having a you know the regular riding job that i had but um you know i try to adapt to whatever uh the world throws at me so i'm not 
I'm not completely happy about this, but I'm accepting it right now. Yeah, there's not much you can really do. Nobody can do anything. But hey, actually, massive congratulations. You're probably like the first freestyle motocross rider that at least I know of that um, has been implanted with the new triple backflip 5G vaccine. Yeah, probably I'm the first one because uh, my my uh, backup plan, which is right now my main plan for <laughs> making money, uh, allowed me to, to fall into the foot handling people category. So I was able to get the on, you know, like the second list, second priority list for the for the vaccination. And uh, hopefully, you know, Bill Gates can can use the cheat codes for me to get all those new tricks, man. Get something new. Man, how good would that be? Like, yeah, right. Cheat codes activated, triple flip, double backy 360. All you got to do is sit on that Suzuki and send it. Yeah, I mean, I'm just waiting for that. But uh, I guess he's not into the motor mood yet. So I keep waiting on that. And, uh, so you just well, got to keep you know working. What? keep working dude and i was hoping that he would control me so i could keep sleeping while he you know pilot me but uh none of that did still all all by myself damn it come on i'll still need to wait for the second dose too so ah yeah true true yeah so you've only had the first dose you got to get the second one but hey when you got that second hopefully then if this vaccine passport thing happens you'll be like one of the first riders that would be allowed to travel. So Yeah, and I'm gonna take over, dude. I'm gonna take all the shows. <laughs> if if you can travel again, that would be unbelievable. Obviously that's the biggest issue we've got um with all of this COVID right now. We can't even we can't even go to any events. So yeah, now you got this uh at least you've started the vaccine. You're halfway there, man. Yeah and, and I had a couple of shows this year. Not nothing I mean the first show was kind of a big deal. It's one of the biggest shows in South America, which is actually a contest. And then I had this other small show in, in Guatemala uh, almost a week ago, over a week ago. And uh, nothing major, but uh, it was good to have a little bit of normality back into my life. How did they run those events? Like, where, where was that? There was Brazil, right? That was the first big one. Yeah. 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 That's a, they do that yearly event. Yeah. The, the thing about that event, it's a it's a made for TV event, so they don't really need uh, a crowd to make it happen. They don't depend on on people paying tickets, you know, to make their profits. They it's all sponsors through TV on on a ma- major network. That's cool. Which is like the, probably the biggest network in Brazil. So we didn't need any public. It was good. It, it was fun, dude, and uh, and people seem to take the COVID threat really serious down there in Brazil because uh, I went out for a walk the first day because, uh, well, I, I stayed there for, for a whole week because my plan was like doing this contest, but also I wanted to do some FMX lessons and try to help the the Latin American freestyle scene uh, improve, get new riders, help the riders that were up there already, you know, improve their tricks. So, the first couple of days, I went there for walks on the street, and all of them were wearing masks. Uh, people were keeping their distance. They were uh, disinfecting gels. 
on every entrance to every store. So they seem to be taken very seriously, even though their numbers don't show it. But uh, at least it's, I, I, it could be that the city I was, it's a smaller city and, you know, people might be more, let's say, don't, don't want to sound offensive, but more domesticated. Yeah. And uh, and maybe on major cities, things are run more widely like they are in like 95% of the world. But at least then you got down there, you got around and you got to ride your dirt bike. That's pretty damn cool. Yeah, that was awesome, dude. It was a whole week of me doing the things I normally did, riding almost every day and uh, hanging out with friends and, well, and competing again. Uh, I could tell, like, mentally, I was out of shape for competition. <laughs> like, physically, I was fine because I've been working out and training a lot, waiting for the day that things were going to come back to normal. But mentally... Uh, I lost my training. Like, how do you prepare for a contest? And uh, I could definitely tell by by my final run that I wasn't 100% in competition mode. Yeah. I imagine, well, have you had much training time at all then at home? I'm guessing by this answer, probably not. (laughs) Uh, Not really, because when they, they shut down, well, they shut down the world. Back here, it was, I want to say March... It's going to be like a year since they shut down everything. I I said, like, I don't know when I'm going to make money again. So I don't want to go. I don't need to go out and spend money. Yeah. So I pretty much locked myself up for two months before I rode again. Hmm. First time I rode, I was freaking out because uh, I've never spent that long without riding unless it was an injury. And uh, I rode once. Then another two months went by because no one else was riding. So I had nobody to ride with. And uh, and I had no place to ride. So two months went by, rode again. And then I noticed like, man, I can actually do this every two months. And my tricks are still there. My my throttle hand is still in control of the gap. <laughs> and then I, I got called to do a video shooting for this uh, um, helmet cam company. Insta360, and that was a month after the two months I didn't ride. So my training was not good at all. Then finally, in October, I got invited to this contest in Brazil. And after that, I was, man, I got to practice. But at that time, I was having my 9-to-5 job already, so practice schedule wasn't as flexible. And I was able to ride only once a week for a few hours after work. Yeah, And that was all the training i did from october november it was only two months once a week before the contest so it was pretty much eight to nine sessions of practice before i went to the contest wow and you were riding a different bike and yeah and i had to find myself a honda so i only had eight sessions to get used to the bike before going there it it was stressful (laughs) really stressful how does it feel to go from riding the Suzuki onto a Honda did you find someone that already had freestyle suspension on the Honda or did you just ride kind of like a bog stock bike and hope that the one in Brazil was going to be good well I tried uh tried because uh, uh, my deal with the Brazilian people is like I'll get a, a Honda because that was the only bike they could get me 
but you guys had to pay for the rent of the bike. And they were like, yeah, no problem, dude. We'll pay for every expense uh, you got to do on the bike. And uh, I called a few friends that had Hondas. They told me, no, dude, uh, not feeling like loaning my bike. I said, dude, it's not a loan. It's a rent. I'll give you money for it. They were like, no, dude, like, sorry. I was like, I'll respect the decision. <laughs> and um, I started, like, running through all my contacts to see who can help me out with that. And, like, I'm running out of time. Like, this was at the beginning of October and nothing was going on. And then uh, I called Nitro Circus and I asked him if they could rent me one of the the Honda spare bikes they have for the Australian riders. And they actually told me, like, yeah, don't worry about it. Come and, and grab it tomorrow. Oh, that's cool. We're good. Uh, you don't have to pay for anything. You're part of the family. So in exchange, uh, I started running their logos on my bike. Because for me, that was a big sponsorship. So I could compete. But I messed up and I sent the wrong logo to my graphics guy. And it was like oh. the old logo. But uh, they, they appreciate the sentiment anyways. <laughs> Yeah, almost there. You almost got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They say, we saw the spirit. Yeah. Good idea, bad execution. But we'll Hey, that pretty much sums up everything I do. Great ideas, terrible execution. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So what was it like then? Like you, you've got that bike and then you've ridden the Honda a few times, fly down to Brazil. I'm guessing Fred hooked you up with a pretty good Honda then? Uh, Well, funny thing is like, because I wasn't riding as much, switching from the Suzuki to the Honda wasn't such a like shock. That's cool. So it was like it was alright. It was like yeah, because I wasn't riding as much. I think if I was on my regular schedule, I would struggle a little bit more. And also the fact that I noticed I could go long periods of time without riding, without losing my my skills or my ability, actually boost my confidence a lot so once i got into the honda it took me like you know two sessions to notice like all i had to do was pretty much find the the grab holes yeah. where they were and how the the handlebars sit a little bit differently on the bike and you know the power band wasn't a problem because this is a way newer bike but uh, it wasn't a big problem because i wasn't riding as much so no big at all uh and then, uh, no, actually, Fred didn't oh. help me down there because uh, Fred and I had a few differences oh. last time I was in Brazil. So we're not as good friends are, are we, as we used to be. But uh, the the promoter did a great job getting me an excellent bike and a, and a good mechanic. And the bike was just as good as the one I was using here. Perfect. Oh, well, sucks a bit, but uh, at least it all worked out in the end. So you've got that event run and done. Uh, actually, how did you go? What what kind of results did you get for someone who's barely ridden? Well, uh, I qualified in second place. Then uh, because we had weather issues in the past with that event, they run a fake final just in case it rains the day of the final. Uh-huh. And uh, I won the, that fake final. And uh, that gave me so much confidence for the next day. So I was like, I got this on the back. And then we went into finals. Weather was getting kind of weird, but it wasn't fully committing to raining. But there was wind on and off. And that messed up my final run. Oh. Uh, oh. My first... <laughs> 
on my last jump of my on my last jump of my semi final run, I got caught in the wind and I cased the the third gear ramp a little bit. Oh. Like the wind stopped me. Because it was a headwind on the biggest ramp of the course with the tightest running. So when I started my final run, I freaking gasped like a goddamn demon. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as I took off, you can feel there's no wind. Oh, like, no. So I'm upside down, going for a double drop flip. And as soon as I left the ramp, I was like, damn, there's no wind. I'm going to flat. So I pretty much did a dead sailor backflip to flat. Bounce like a freaking pogo stick. <laughs> and then I was, okay, okay, regroup. Next trick. What's next trick? Underflip. And I was thinking about the wind. I was thinking, oh, man, there's no wind. So I'm not focusing on my run anymore. And I did the probably the biggest, most massive underflip I've done in my whole career. Like, I was completely out of access. And as soon as I left the ramp, I was like, yeah, this was way too much. I bit a lot more than I can chew. <laughs> and I'm trying to save the thing. And I landed, I want to say, at least 75 degrees into the landing. Like, not, not nearly as straight as I could. And I'm just fighting for my life. On, you know, this, this whole thing is in fractions of seconds. So I'm fighting to not die. And I saved the crash. And because I saved, I celebrated too early and I look at the crowd like, do you guys see that? <laughs> and my front wheel got caught in a puddle of mud and I went down. <laughs> and I was like, God damn it, this sucks. This sucks. I ruined my run. I'm, a, I'm, ready, I'm ready to throw the towel. And I'm like, no. People's here, like, people on TV is expecting a show. We're going to finish our show. And uh, then on, my whole run went pretty good. Like, Everything was fine, but uh, I knew I didn't have a, a chance to win anymore unless Fred messed up big time, and uh, and I knew he wasn't gonna. I mean, I already gave him slack. He saw me going down, so his pressure level is going down immediately. He's not nervous anymore. And uh, but uh, I pretty much put the show I wanna I wanna put for the TV crowd. And my run was pretty good. Like I even got back my lazy boat flips, no hander landers, tsunami flips were pretty cool. So I was happy with my run. I just bummed that I messed up my first two jumps. And and again, like my mentality wasn't like my my brain wasn't working in competition mode, and and I could tell because in competition mode, whether it's windy or not, my tricks still work. But this time I went for the safe route and I didn't do it. That was pretty much it for me. And I finished in second place, still happy, but uh, not winning. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a win would definitely be better, but it sounds like at least you got the job done. Um, especially bombing the first two, crashing the, the third jump. Yeah, you still did pretty Yeah, good. I mean, it's it, it was all right. I walked away with a little bit of a swollen ankle and that, that was pretty much all, all I had. Oh, and I squeezed my, my ring finger with my clutch. So that that was hurting a lot the next day, but uh, no big deal. Like, uh, you know, crashes on FMX are normally way worse than that. So I was happy. Yeah, that that's a pretty damn good day. So you you've done the Brazil event, and then you said you went to Guatemala, and I believe you're on a Honda again. Yes, in Guatemala. 
How did that go? Well, same deal. The the guys from Guatemala saw me riding a Honda, and they're like, "Hey, we have a show here in February." I didn't take it too seriously because I, I know those guys are like all the guys that invite me are all about party, and they make a lot of promises they can't keep up with. So I said, "Yeah, sure, why not?" So I asked Nitro if I could keep the bike a little bit longer, or if I could buy buy it from them because I really like the bike. And they're they're like, "Oh, dude, just keep riding, riding it until we need it, and we'll let you know." But uh, we'll we'll try to work a deal so you can buy it from us. And I'm uh, still waiting for that deal, but I'm pretty pumped on that. I'm still gonna keep my Suzuki because uh, I got I got a deal with Night of the Jumps. I bought a bike over there and I have to pay for it still and I got to pay for it while riding it. So we got to keep that going. So a, a pretty cool guy got me that deal over there. Hey. I would recommend you be friends with him. His name's Steve. <laughs> He's a good dude. Man. I was, was going to talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. they got me that Honda. I went to Guatemala. Turns out the guy that was going to hand me the Honda or was going to... Uh, lend me that Honda, had an argument with these guys two days before I got there. So they said, like, screw you guys. You guys, good luck finding a Honda for Javier. And as soon as I got there, they told me, dude, we got bad news, but don't worry about it. There's plenty of Hondas here in Guatemala. I said, yeah, dude, I'm not stressed. Turns out my show was on Friday, but Saturday and Sunday, there was like a national level motocross race. So no one was down to... No one was willing to let me use their 2020 Honda. All of the Honda riders are like, hell no, it's not yeah, happening. No way. So they got me a 2015 Honda. And I told him, dude, if you would have told me you had a 2015 Honda, I wouldn't get the parts for this bike because I can, I can get them. But I need time. I, I mean, now that I'm here in Guatemala, there's nothing I can do. And they were like, dude, but would you just jump, straight jump? as I did so I can look like a got them full in front of the people no i'm not gonna do that so they start working so dude we'll get you a newer honda and they did they did they did get me a new honda a newer honda they got me a 2016 honda parts didn't fit all the parts i took with me because uh from 2017 to 2020 it's the same bike from 2013 to 2016 yep. it's a it's a different bike so all my parts didn't work exactly uh they ended up well, I, I also did some FMX lessons down there. So the ramp would scoot up all the way to like 45 feet. And uh, and I started feeling bad. Like I saw the guys put in a little bit of effort on this and not as much effort as I liked, but enough effort to make the show happen. And I'm like, I'll put some effort too and I'll, I'll just jump at 45 feet. Uh, first jump, I greased it, which I was surprised because 45 feet is a gap I'm not used to. And even when I greased it, suspension bottom out yeah, they're the ones that hurt the most they hurt the most because yeah dude, it's full motor suspension like i greased it both wheels same time on the sweet spot bottom out now i go check the clicker some more <laughs> and i'm out of clicks like suspension so i'm getting any stiffer i probably rode the bike for 10 minutes did a double can a half-ass lazy boy i almost click a heel clicker and I did nothing. <laughs> and I told the guys, like, this is it. This is it. I can't do anything else. Wow. And the guys are like, oh, come on, dude. Will you do five more jumps? I'm like, no, dude. Like, 
I'll put the same amount of effort that you guys put in getting me a bike. I'll put it on my riding and this is it. Like I, when I did my lazy boy, I went to flat and suspension went metal to metal on and it hurt. That one hurt. It's not like, no, that's it. Dude. Like this is it. I'm calling it. And, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to risk myself for this. Yeah. You probably walk out of there with broken ankles. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I can definitely keep on riding and do more tricks, but I'm not going to risk myself to do, you know, if I case a little bit, because after over jumping it, you start overthinking like, oh, I'm going too fast. Oh, also, because I didn't have my sprockets on. Uh, the the power band was way different than my bike, so I could not get the right throttling. So I'm starting thinking about it. And also 45 feet, like the 45 feet with freaking a 48 tooth sprocket it was awful it, it was awful to get the right speed and so i was yeah. trying to regulate my power band and i kept going along and i was like dude i'm gonna start to go slower until i case and with no suspension i'm gonna scissor this thing and and i don't need that so i called it i called it right there and they, they'd respect my decision and, and promise me that next time i go there they'll have a bike for me but we'll see oh man well i guess that to be honest that sounds like the good part from the last year, uh, doing those two events. And I mean, it doesn't sound that great. I mean, but yeah, I wasn't upset. I it mean, sounds better. Than... I was grateful. I was grateful that I yeah. got to do shows. Either even when they weren't the best shows. I mean, this last Guatemala show wasn't the best show I've done, and I crashed on that other one. I was happy that I was doing my thing again. It, it was amazing. It was if. I've never felt so grateful. I think the only time I felt this grateful it was when I started my career 20 years ago. Whoa. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, you become entitled. You get used to it and you're like, you get upset about like the silliest things about, you know, promoter is not coming up to my, you know, expectations a hundred percent. And, uh, like I said, 20 years ago and these last two shows, I was like a lot more flexible, just like grateful to be given the chance to be there and, you know, enjoy. And, and I was as grateful as 20 years ago, but more experienced. So I knew what I was being grateful for. Yeah. And, and I was happy to be there, even though conditions weren't the best. I felt that I was one of the lucky ones that still got the chance to do this which has been taken away for for most of the, you know, FMX population. Yeah, exactly. And I guess, yeah, you're more experienced. So, yeah, you're definitely pumped to do it, but you also know when to not, let's say, keep screwing around on a shitty bike because that's where, let's say, 20 years ago, that's when I destroyed my ankles because I didn't know when to say no. And I just overjumped. Same thing. I don't even think it was 45 foot. I think the... The pile of dirt I was given at a Monster Trucks show, it was like shoulder height dirt. So the ramp was at least a meter higher than the landing. And it was like this little mound of nothing. And I just managed to land in like a tractor wheel, like a, a rut that the tractor had left and uh, broke an ankle. And it just happened to be like a... a, a an injury that I've just had forever. Like after that day, I've never been able to run. It wasn't the worst broken ankle I've ever had, but it changed everything. 
But if I was smarter, let's say 20 years experience, I probably wouldn't have jumped it just like you did in Guatemala. Yeah, exactly. That That's exactly what I did. I, I the Dirt landing, is it, it's safe and everything. The ramp was kind of shitty. You can tell it's, it was, it's a ramp that Metal Militia built like 15 years ago in Guatemala. And that ramp's still been there. So it's like bent yeah. and it has like a whoop section going all the way to the end. And and I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't need to do this. Like, <laughs> you got to pay me though. Yes, you got to pay me. Because I, I told them this is my deal. Like, I'm losing days of work for coming here. And they're going to take it out of my paycheck. So you got to pay me regardless. And they did. They, they came through. They were, well, they pay me in a freaking their Guatemalan, Guatemalan money. So it was like a big, huge bag bunch of with a bunch of zeros and I knew I was going to lose some money in the exchange but uh, again I mean I wasn't thrilled but I wasn't upset I was like man I mean I'm, I'm getting this chance again I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this and I also only rode for 10 jumps so I'm not going to complain too much about like you know the $200 I lost on the, on the exchange Man, so that well that actually brings us to what I really wanted to find out and um, I mean You've alluded to it, and it's you've had a shit time since COVID kicked off. Um, how how have you found it? Because you're talking about a real job now, like you're a twenty year veteran in freestyle motocross. You have got medals and trophies here, there, and everywhere. You're a world champion. You've got a real job or a couple of jobs, right? Like, what's going on? Okay, buckle up because this story is going to be long. Buckle, Buckle up. up. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here we go. So, yeah, besides a 20 years uh, veteran of FMX, it's been 30 years of only riding dirt bikes. I'm 37. And uh, it's been a whole life of the only thing I've known is riding dirt bikes. So when COVID, that's the thing. I was in denial the whole time. It's like, oh, no, this thing is going to resume in a month. In a couple of weeks, we're going to back doing shows. I'm not going to get a job because I don't want to tie myself into something. And then uh, I can't do the shows because I got to work. So I was in full denial. And money started running out. We we took the... I, I went full on commie and took uh, all the government aids we could, you know, to stretch the situation we were on. Yeah, yeah. And then... Uh, but then, you know, they cut the aids and, and we, started, we started living out of our savings. And not only I started running out of money, I started, started running out of motivation. And, and I started feeling, I started feeling like I was good for nothing. I started questioning my whole life. I went into a really dark place in my head. And I was like, oh. all I've done in my whole life is riding dirt bikes, and I don't know any other way that I can sustain my family. I'm good for nothing right now. Like, I was in a really bad spot. And my wife, through a friend, found this job doing uh, candy sales and delivery for, for some stores here in the United States. And she told me, there's another opening. Like, we can both do it. And my main concern was that the kids are going to start school and someone has to be here 
you know, to, to take care because they were, they're doing online school. And, uh, if someone has to be there to see that they're doing the right thing. So, and I, I went really selfish on this because I was like, I don't want to do this job because I don't want to expose myself to COVID because, you know, working at stores and handling all this and talking to different people because I was, I don't want to, you know, expose myself to COVID because I read that once you get it, there's a big chance you get uh, some long-term damage in your lungs. And I want to still be an athlete for a couple more years and having damage to your lungs is going to affect that. So pretty much send my wife to save the family economy. And, you know, I'll stay here like a freaking coward that I am because I don't want to, I don't want to expose myself. So for a couple of weeks, my wife did it by herself. And then uh, I saw her struggling, especially on the English part. Like uh, her English is not as fluent as mine. So it was a little bit of a struggle for her. And I told her, okay, I'll go with you and help you with the translations and everything. And I, I did that for a week. And I was like, you know what? This is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. So talk to, to your boss and sign me in. And I started doing that. And, and I started doing the, the candy selling. But in another uh, section, like Claudia, my wife is doing the Riverside County, which is like within an hour from our house. And I'm doing the San Diego County, which is an hour away from my house. The closest store I have, it's an hour away. My wife's store is furthest store is an hour away. So, you know, like she has more time to work and I have more time to, to drive. And also my wife, my wife opened a daycare, like a child, child daycare, I think it's called. And, and it was opening on the weekends. And now we're with the money we've been able to save, which is not much. We've slowly been going to the, the clothing district in LA, downtown LA, and buy like clothes, uh, a style of clothing that my wife likes in bulk, which is like very uh, hippie, I would say. That's the style she likes. And uh, we're going to open a, I mean, she's going to open um, like a shack on a, on a flea market close to the house. And that's pretty much what we're doing, like working seven okay. days a week, some way or another. Man, that is crazy. That's um, a short version, though. That's the yeah. I mean, <laughs> hey, we're here on this podcast. We can go the long version. No stress at all. Um, that yeah. Well, you've you've definitely touched on it. Um, you went to a pretty dark place, and I I was thinking about it, like the fact that you've done it, and then. I knew because you told me, um, you know, because we were checking in and seeing how, let's say, you're in denial thinking we were going to do events again soon. And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I hope so, but I don't think so. Um, but you've actually, you've owned this. You've got your JV Candyman Instagram. Like, I thought, to be honest, that's that's pretty big um, because, yeah. You're just waiting until you can ride your dirt bike again and go back to what you know. Everything you know is that dirt bike. 
but you're owning the situation. Unfortunately, it is what it is. And uh, you, you're back doing normal work. Yeah, it's a, it, it was, and that's a, well, one part I forgot to mention. It was my ego got in the way a lot of me getting this job. Because I was like, dude, I was world champion in 2011. I got X game medals. I've been Latin American champion twice. I've been X pilot champion a couple of years in a row. I, I second place night to world games. What the hell am I gonna do? Freaking delivering candy? Like this is not my thing. Like I'm a professional athlete, and uh, yeah. And it took a little bit. It took me taking putting my ego aside and realizing like. No, this is the world that we live in right now. There's no, there's no athletes right now. They're, we're just people. We're just people working regular jobs, and we gotta make this happen. And uh, seriously, like it was rough, dude. I didn't notice. I didn't notice how big was my ego until that, until I, I hit rock bottom, and I was like, I can't, I can't be a good for nothing, washed out athlete. I gotta, like. My kids are not gonna are not gonna feed themselves. I'm not gonna pay for my life with my trophies. That's a past, and, and that's gone. That's all my trophies are. My medals. That's all what it is. It's a reminder of a what a good time I've been having for the last twenty years. But it's time to move on, and uh, and I started doing this job, learning new skills like as a salesman because. That's a skill I didn't have. I haven't even been good to sell myself, so it's 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 been good. It's good. It's been a good learning experience. I've been learning new skills. I've been having fun with this, and and I, like you said, I owned it, and I created this uh, Candyman account because I was like, dude, I had nothing motor related to post on my social media, and I noticed I started losing followers for that, so. Every time I posted something related to my candy life, I was I had like less and less followers, and I was like, okay. I'm gonna create an account that is just for people that that's interested on on the B side of my life, and keep posting whatever content I can make on on my other account. And so far, it's been working. Like my followers starting to go up again, and 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 got a few sponsors again, you know, stuff like that. So it's been working out. Or, or right, not great, but it's all right. Compared to my old life, compared to my this new life, it's working great. Just looking, actually, JV Candyman on Instagram. Uh, you've got three hundred and twenty followers, and I, I'm just reading this. I I've never actually read the the bio. I'm obviously I follow it uh, and see what you're up to there. CEO at windowless white van full of candy delivery. Music and box placement administrator, FMX writer, blah blah blah. Um, the windowless white van. Wow, how did yeah, you feel driving me. around in that van? <laughs> uh, uh, hey, I've already judged you because we were talking that day. I guess we were sending WhatsApp messages or, or something like that, and then you locked yourself out of your van. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, judge that. You can judge that. <laughs> <laughs> Not the luxury van that I guess you probably expect to be driving around, right? I mean, that's actually my van. I I bought that van a couple years ago because uh, a friend was coming from Chile to stay at my house and he asked me if I could 
you know, if I knew someone that could rent him a van uh, for the, I think he was going to stay here for three months or so. So since I couldn't find anyone, I went out there and bought that one. I rented to him for those three months and he paid for the van, like the rental paid for the van. And then uh, whoa, whoa. every year someone came from anywhere, I would rent my van for however long they needed it. So it was a, a, a decent source of income for a little bit, but now it wasn't. It was just sitting there. So when I got called to do this uh, candy thing, I told them, hey, uh, oh, they were going to hand me a, like a box truck. And I told them, hey, I have this uh, van uh, and, and I can rent it to you guys and I'll, delivery, I'll do the delivery in my van. And they were, yeah. And they started paying me for it. So I'm getting money for delivering candy and for driving my own van, which is great. Oh, man. Happy days. That's awesome. What what's Claudia driving around in then? Well, she she is driving the 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 box truck. It's it's dude, it's it's a massive truck. Like for for a girl her is size, it? it's 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 a massive truck. Well, but they go into the main subject. Go into the main subject we're talking about. Like it is weird driving a van full of candy. Like sometimes when I finish my route early, I go to some skate parks to release some tension. And there was this one day that uh, they there was this one day they returned a bag of candy because the bag ripped, so they can't sell it anymore. And uh, I I get to oh, keep no. the, those bags. Oh, no, I get I to can... keep them. And I went to the skate park, and I saw all the kids, and I said, "Dude, I want I don't want to take this candy. I'm gonna give it to those kids." And I grabbed the bag, and I'm walking towards the kids, and it hit me. <laughs> It's like, nah, you know what? I'm just going to put this bag on, on the van. <laughs> I don't need this kind of trouble. I don't need this kind of uh, spots on my on my record. So I went back to the van, put the candy away, and just rode my bicycle in the skate park. Good thinking. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's what that, that the, whole uh, joke. Self-awareness. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that, that's where that whole joke of you know driving a, a white windowless van comes from like that situation i was like man this is so creepy no windows full of candy going to parks taunting kids for it no no i don't need that <laughs> no no we don't need to turn on the news and uh yeah there's your mugshot for um yeah <laughs> offering offering all sorts of candy to kids at the skate park so what are you doing are you just driving around in the van with like uh your bmx or something in the back and Delivering some candy and then off to the skate park. Sometimes, sometimes I, I plan my my routes like that. So I have a day because I have this one day I have to go to the warehouse and, you know, fill the van with as much candy as I can. And whatever doesn't fit in my van goes on on my wife's uh, truck. as It's like our mobile, mobile uh, warehouse. But uh, there's a few days I try to fit as many stores on the first three to four days so I can give myself one day that I can just call it quits early and, and go ride the local skate park that's closer to closer to the, to, to the last store I work on. And it's pretty good. It's been helping me a lot. It, actually, I never even thought about this because you know I stopped riding FMX for a while and just doing it once a week or once every two weeks. But uh, riding BMX helped me a lot because, you know, for in order for you to do the tricks, you got to 
you don't have as much time in the air or I don't have as much time in the air as I do on FMX. So it sharp, sharp, my sharpen, my, my quick thinking in the air. Like the first, after riding BMX for two months and I went and I hit the ramp for the first time, I was like, Oh my God, I have so much time in the air, so much room for activities here in the air. So it, it's been helping me a lot. Riding BMX has been helping me a lot on my FMX riding mostly on the quick thinking reactions man imagine like you'd be able to come back to freestyle and do like double lazy boy backflips or something like lazy boy oh no i can do another one let's go again <laughs> yeah it's probably gonna look like a crap but i could i definitely could put two or three tricks in a row uh but i don't like the way that looks yeah I mean, maybe just hold it for longer but do you actually uh are you finding yourself enjoying this new job now? Like like you said, you get to go to the skate park if you time your run right. Uh, are you getting into it? Look, I don't I don't love this job because it's it's not, you know, action packed like I'm used to, but I don't hate it either. <laughs> it's, it's it's I like the fact that it helped me develop new skills. I definitely like that. Uh I get to to be a a silly dude with people that never seen me before. Like I go talk to the people, crack some jokes, you know, just to increase my sales. For me, and it's funny because if I make someone smile, especially the grumpy ones, that's almost as good as winning Night of the Jumps, man. Like I crack a joke, and if the grumpy <laughs> dude woman laughs, it's okay. I won. That's it. That's the end of my day. I don't need to sell more candy. I want. And, uh, and you know, it has a different, it brings a different kind of happiness to me. Like, it's not like action fulfilling. It's just like soul fulfilling. I don't know. It's different. It's a, I don't, again, I don't hate it. I don't, I don't really love it. But, uh, if this is, I don't know, we never come over, we never get over the pandemic and we're stuck doing this. I wouldn't be absolutely mad doing this. I mean, it doesn't really suck that much. That's good to hear. That's yeah. I mean, to be honest, um, like I, I've never had many jobs in my life. I grew up on a dairy farm, so I worked every day milking damn cows. But then when I moved to Brisbane, like when I finished high school, went to university, um, my dad, this is, this is a nice long story, but it's kind of, um, Kind of Should the same as up, what dude? you're doing now. A little bit different. Buckle up, man. This is a good one. Um, be- well, it's not that good, but it just is kind of relatable. But uh, yeah, so my dad rang the boss of the milk company that we used to sell our milk to. And he's like, oh, the boy's coming down for university and he he needs a job. So they had nothing going. They basically made a job for me, which was, I didn't say it was great at the time. Um, I just wanted to go to uni and it was the first time I was in a big city. So it was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, they, the first job I had was driving around, not in a delivery van, but I was doing pickups from schools, uh, sporting clubs, things like that. So on the milk cap, um, was either like a 10 cent sticker or a 20 cent sticker or something like that. And so all the kids would collect all their caps and it was called the collector cap program. It's pretty 
genius. Um, so they'd collect the caps from home. They'd bring them all to the schools and whatever. And however many caps they had, I just wrote out big fat checks. So it was the best job. All I had to do was like maybe 10 to 15 pickups around Brisbane in a day, drive around. And I was timing it that I would get to a school, let's say if I knew I was going towards the coast one day, all right, I'll get to that school about lunchtime. And of course, I'm writing out a check for them. I'm not trying to sell them anything. So they're like, oh, Steve's here. Oh, how much money did we make this time? Like, oh, that was a good one. Oh, $410. Oh, good job. <laughs> and they're like, oh, would you like a, a pie or a sausage roll or a, I don't know, something from the uh, tuck shop? What do you call it? Um, canteen, cafeteria. I guess, for the rest of the world. Um, cafeteria, exactly. So I would time it that I was at a, at a school or a sporting club at lunchtime. They'd give me some free food. I'd just go down and I'd sit at the beach. And I was like, man, this is the coolest job. I don't have to sell anything. I get free food. Everyone's happy to see me because I'm giving them money. Man, that was the best job. And like, I look back now and I'm like, I got paid far too well to do that job. I don't think I even got paid that well, but it was better than zero. <laughs> so, yeah, huge story. Thought I'd just throw it in there, but... <laughs> No, but that, that you brought another important point. Like the good thing about this candy delivery sales situation I'm doing, it was good for a change to get a steady paycheck. I've, I've never had that, you know, like, so I can actually budget my month now knowing that how much money I'm going to have at the end of the month compared to the last 15 years of my career that I'm like, Okay, I make this money today, so I don't know when I'm gonna make this amount of money again. So we gotta be really careful. So it's good to to know that there's money coming every two weeks for me. So that's a good peace of mind that makes this thing a little bit better than you know not doing anything at all. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I guess people are probably gonna laugh like listening to us to talk about this that it seems yeah. so normal in a way, but um, like, obviously I did that job and I guess it was only for like three months. It was, there was only small contract jobs that this milk company at Paul's gave me. They're like, Oh yeah, we've, we've got this. And so I did a couple of months and they're like, Oh, that's all finished now. Or I think, no, I think I broke my back on that one at that time. So I couldn't actually drive the the truck. So I gave up that job and then they called me back for another one and that was like a small contract and whatever. And then since then, all I did was university and then uh, invert management, but that was just working for myself, doing whatever I did, which is kind of like freestyle, right? Like I only get paid whenever I do something. Um, it's not like I get monthly money for it. And it was only once I finished writing and then working with night of the jumps and and we kind of worked out a deal that i would get paid monthly that was the first time in my entire life so i guess what was that last year it started maybe the year before and every month money is hitting my account i was like holy crap like this is unbelievable and i was telling friends i'm like i'm getting paid every month 
far out. I don't have to chase anybody to get paid. Like I'm not calling a promoter for the next six to 12 months and like begging and trying Hoping to get money. Through. It, it just turns up. Yeah, I did. Seriously, you're right. Like people's going to say, people's going to be like, what are these freaking fools talking about? That's life. Like no, it hasn't been life for us for for the longest time. It's been like, you know, chasing people, hoping they're gonna come through with the paycheck, and or or the deposit, and you're trusting them. Like you're trusting that you're gonna get your money at the end of the day. Yeah. And and now it's a little bit of peace of mind. It's been good. It's uh, mentally, it's it's been good. Like I've been able to relax a little bit more. Uh, you know, not. I mean, I'm not fully. Let's blow all this money away because there's more money coming. But uh, I'm able to, as I mentioned, I, I I'm able to budget my my two weeks before the next paycheck, and I have a little bit of peace of mind instead of like, oh man, I have all this money in the bank, but we're probably gonna have to make it last six months before the next paycheck. And uh, it's good. It's been good. I've been able to actually work on my guitar playing, work on my BMX riding and and stuff like that. I, it, it's been good to for me to develop my other hobbies. Uh, I'm pretty grateful for the sweet situation I've been, you know, I've been dealing with because uh, it's been helping me to to work on myself as a as a project, and I, I feel pretty accomplished right now with the things I, I'm I'm doing. Uh, I'm not shredding my guitar, but uh, I can tell I'm playing better than I was a year ago. And everything, every improvement I get on myself, it, it feels like another medal. Man, that is pretty damn cool. Uh, unfortunately, though, we did kind of open up the can of worms that um, freestyle motocross isn't that much of a rock star life. Uh, you know, like it all looks so good, but here we're talking about you know, you don't know if you're going to get paid or whatever it might be. And it's fantastic. Like when you do those big events and everything works out well, yeah, it's good. But there's so much of the the shit side that nobody gets to see. Nobody gets to see you laying on the couch for six months when you're injured. And at that point, there's zero income for six months or um, nobody pays you or the, the promoter doesn't pay you or sponsors don't pay you, things like that. Or I you mean, get hurt, so you're not even getting paid and you're wasting money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's even worse. Exactly. Um, I'm going to throw this out there. You don't have to answer if you don't want, but is, let's say, yeah, 20 years of riding freestyle motocross, people would be thinking, yeah, Javier, he must be absolutely loaded right now. Why in the world did he have to go do this job? Like, what, why did that happen? Oh, absolutely, man. Um, I, I, I don't mind about this. Uh, so, yeah, there was a time I wasn't fully loaded. I wasn't rich, but I was really all right. I was all right with money that I had no concerns. I was, like, in peace with my economic situation. But then I had three years of big injuries in a row. And that chews up, especially here in the United States, that chews up whatever income you made. Like, just one injury can take all your money away if it's, a big, it's an injury, injury big enough. So 
especially there, there was that like you you start spending your money on the injury you're not making any income and then there's another thing i could be, i was when i had these three years of injuries i was in the top 10 writers to call to do shows like i was doing every show that i wanted but when you get injured you start falling down that list so by the time i was fully healed from all these injuries I was at the end of the list and getting back into the show train, it was so incredibly hard. So I wasn't making as much money anymore. Like when I was in top of my career, I would think like, dude, I'll make this money for the rest of my life. I'm going to be able to retire when in, in 10 years now. And not, not that I want to retire. I enjoy this way too much to retire. But yeah. uh, I felt at the end of that list, and I was not getting any shows. And the shows I was getting, I was just getting offered half of what I used to get because I wasn't an A-lister anymore, not even a B-lister. So you're like, yeah, you know what? Like we got all these new guys coming. Uh, we got all these reliable guys doing it. If you want to get in, you're going to have to put your, you know, bend over and put your pants down a little bit, maybe all the way to your knees. <laughs> and and I had to. And I had to. And you know, like the shows I was getting, yeah. there were fewer. The money I was getting was a lot less than I was used to. And I already had this like uh, lifestyle that was costing me this much money. And I had to realize, dude, you got to leave your reality now. And the lifestyle started going down. And and, and that that's it. Like then when the – so I had the chance to recover right before the pandemic with a few big shows that I was going to have in South America. And that's when the whole world re- decided to revolt. You know, the there was this uh, social explosion in Chile that canceled a Masters of Dirt that we're going to have there. And that was the, my biggest paying show in the year. And I didn't make any money. Like at the end of 2019, I didn't make any money. So I got into 2020 living off my savings and I got to do Brazil night of the jumps and sit down at home for 11 months man actually I I I remember that because I know like talking to Squibby I think his bike was in Chile for one year waiting for that event because they postponed because of the social unrest and they're like, no, nah, no, maybe we can do it. Maybe we can do it. And I think it was, yeah, I'm sure his and everybody else's bike from MOD was like there, just waiting, waiting, hoping that that event happened. And it just didn't. Yeah, yeah, it sucked big time, dude. Uh, and for me, it was a good show because besides getting, it was my biggest pain show. Uh, I would get so much exposure in Chile every time I went there for, for events. And I, uh, it was good for sponsors. It was good for, for everything for me, and especially good for the ego. But uh, it didn't happen. And and I'm pretty positive it won't happen because, uh, you know, things are going to take a long time before they go back to, you know, doing those massive events. The arena where, we're, where we were doing that show wasn't that great. It wasn't that big. So if we had to fill it up to half of a third of capacity it's not gonna pay for the show so I, i'm i don't know if it happens uh i'm not so sure it'll be in the near future that sucks to hear i was thinking though when you said about 
with the three years of injuries and then, you know, the mountain of crap that's piled up since, how has that then affected sponsors? Like, let's say, okay, you've got no freestyle events. Can you fall back on sponsors? But I'm guessing that probably hasn't worked out so well either. Well, like we were talking when I was telling you that I learned new uh, skills doing this thing, like as a salesman, I've never been very good at selling myself. So I don't, I don't have a lot of network, you know, contacts with people. Like most of the sponsors I had was my manager that I used to have got me and I never got the direct contact. So I lost all of them. I, I had no sponsors. I had, I had support from companies, but no sponsors, no paying sponsors whatsoever. And, uh, most of the support I have is good friends like uh, Canvas. They're still sending me gear, even though, you know, I only done two shows in the last year. And that's because <laughs> they're good friends. They're good friends with me and they, they respect what I do. They respect the grind. Uh, but yeah, if we're going to talk about sponsors, it's it's been rough and I'm pretty sure it's been rough for everyone. But uh, also, coming from South America, coming from a development country, I'm just pretty much back to my roots. It's been hard, but it hasn't been a shock because I was prepared for this. My Over half my career has been like this. No sponsors, struggling, fighting, living paycheck to paycheck. So it's been hard because I got used to it for like five years to a great life. But I was prepared. Like It hasn't been like a paralyzing fear. That oh, what I'm gonna do next? It's like, all right, we're back to square one. Let's start rebuilding again from here. It's 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 okay. It's not it's not what I hope for, but it's not the end of the world. What about then? Uh, let's say you said former manager now, um, and you don't have those contact responses. Um, did that like was there a not a fallout? But like, did that finish? Obviously, before COVID, then that once COVID kicked in. They weren't there, or how did how did that work with your manager? Oh no! Well, it's been a few years since I didn't have uh, this. I don't work with my manager anymore because uh, freestyle was in a little bit of a decay, and uh, I've never felt like I was like a commodity of freestyle. So I wasn't a a big paying sponsor guy. Uh, I don't know if uh, the Merc. If I was in Chile. I would probably be banking big time on sponsors. But uh, money was never my priority. My priority was being able to compete against the best in the world in order to turn into one of the best of the world. And I, I, I wouldn't be able to do that from Chile, so I moved to the United States. And in the United States, I'm just another writer. I'm not, you know, the big star I could be in my country. You know, it's one thing for another. I exchange popularity over the chance of growing which i sometimes yeah sometimes when i'm like how i'm gonna pay this the the electric bill i regret it but in the you know in the big picture i don't regret it at all because uh it's been a really fulfilling career so uh, for that situation it was i'm pretty sure it was really hard for my manager to get me good deals and then uh, we got to a point that we said, like, this is not working out. They're like, I'm going to break up with you. It's not It's not you. It's me. 
and that's how it went. I've been without a manager for for about six six years, five six years maybe. That sucks, but I guess it makes sense. Absolutely makes sense to what you're saying. Um, but I was just thinking then. So just before COVID kicked off, everything like you said, everything was looking really good. Everything was on the up and up, um, and we. You know, you said that way, way, way back. Um, you ended up buying a Suzuki uh, in Germany at Night of the Jumps because we had that event, February 21, 22, last year, uh, the Freestyle of Nations at Night of the Jumps. And that was a fucking hoot. That was that was one of the best events um, I think I'd been a part of for a very, very long time, just because it was so damn fun. Like you're part of the world team with Sheeny and Squibby. Like you guys were absolutely on fire. Um, and, and I guess everything was looking really good. We had a lot of events planned so many more that than let's say the year before, uh, and it didn't really work out, but I was just thinking like, how did it feel for you then? At that point, you're on the up and up. You've bought a Suzuki. You're back at Night of the Jumps. Right, let's say riding with Sheenie and Squibby, having a hell of a laugh. Did the rest of the the year look pretty damn good for you, or what were you thinking at that point? Well, I could see the year starting to improve, and not just the year. I could see like the whole freestyle coming back on it again, like getting back in that train. Because uh, you and I were working on on bringing uh, Night of the Jumps to to South America or, or Latin America, we're working the contacts to you know make more than than one stop in Latin America and, and make the thing big again. So I was thrilled about that year, and that's what I said like, let's freaking jump into this cold water and get a bike over there. So you know we don't have to be chasing bikes every time I, I want to get invited there. And I had to do one payment out of three, and there's that bike probably gathering spider webs and dust and probably some bats leaving on that pipe who knows no i i dusted it off uh i actually i was at the the warehouse back at christmas and uh oh yeah there, there's the bike gave a little dust and it wasn't even that much dust on there it was looking good um but that was an awesome competition actually the freestyle of nations i mean i i've already spoken with squibby about this but that's a year ago now but man that was a lot of fun. Like the actual, the team's concept for me, it looks, it looks cool for me watching it. I'm not writing it, but I was watching it. How did it feel for you to ride in a team a little bit less stress or did it maybe put more pressure on like when you had to go for a ruler flip side by side with Sheeny and it didn't really look the same. <laughs> yeah no that that was fun that was it actually was a super flip we we talked about it i said like hey shiny super flips and then i looked to his oh, that what was the supposed hell? to be a super flip yeah. yeah so i did i did it right shiny messed up because i did my super flip looked to the size of why is shiny hanging to the floor like we talked about this god damn it shiny it was his fault fully i'll i'll give him the blame but no it was amazing it was an amazing event i had so much fun on that as you mentioned it's a it takes some of the pressure off your shoulders like because uh it's not full responsibility of like oh well if we don't win it's not fully my fault i can blame it on shini for not doing a superman and and it relaxed me a little bit and uh, because i was more relaxed 
I was able to write better because, you know, when you take away the, the stress, the stress factor, you can actually go out there and just enjoy the writing and, and flow better. And, and we were having a blast. And I still think we should have won both nights because we wrote way better than all the other teams. But <laughs> And we were having more fun than the other teams too. I, I don't think we had, I mean, besides the time we were doing the tricks, there was not one serious moment on our team. And I wouldn't mind doing it again no. and again and as long as possible, I, I I would do it every time. It's amazing. Well, I guess I guess Squibby was uh, he was leading from the front. Um, I guess he he threw down his whips enough just to get through that part. But uh, I guess it, there was a lot hanging on your shoulders, and there was a lot hanging on Sheeny's shoulders. And I don't even think the judges saw the double backflip one hander or no hander or something like that and yeah you guys got screwed on the second night um but yeah you could tell like let's say team germany they're always serious so that was those guys were done but it just looks so look just look like so much fun um and i guess that's our plan is to bring that back of course it was awesome you've got the suzuki on tour you said before maybe you're looking at buying a honda what's what's gonna happen there well uh I'm going to diversify. I'm going to try to buy that Honda from Nitro. <laughs> Hopefully they they agree with my terms. Hopefully try to work a deal like I work with Knight of the Jump, something like that. But I'm also going to keep my Suzuki. So when it's time to get ready for Knight of the Jumps, I'll practice on my Suzuki. I, this whole situation, this whole COVID made me realize that I could jump back and forth from bikes and keep my riding level because actually it happened i started riding the honda um for for this contest in brazil and a week before going to this contest in brazil i got called from insta360 because we were shooting a a promo video and they told me hey we need to do some reshoots because uh we messed up on on whatever some some of the footage we wanted to get can we meet uh this Monday and shoot some more. I bail on my job, and I and and I ask him like, "Hey, I'm riding a new bike. Is that a big deal?" So, oh yeah, that's actually a big deal. It needs to be on the same bike with the same gear. So I went back on the Suzuki. Oh. And so I rode on. I want to say I rode on a Thursday on the Honda, and then on a Monday I rode the Suzuki, and I had no problem adjusting. Like all my tricks were there. Power band was not a problem. And then the following Thursday, I rode the Honda again. And I was no problem at all. So it gave me gave, got, it got me that confidence that I could jump from bike to bike if I need to. As soon as they're both prepped with good suspension and, and grab holes and, and a lower seat and the handlebars I use. That's cool. Actually, the one, I would say probably the one thing that really helped my confidence when I first started writing freestyle I was doing the testing for Freerider MX magazine and so we went to like a motocross track and they just had a, a metal ramp off to the side onto a landing so we were testing the Honda Suzuki Yamaha Cowie I think there was a KTM at that time as well and so yeah five different bikes thrash them around the track write down what you feel about each bike and 
you know, for me personally, I I didn't like the Honda with how the handlebars, foot pegs, and seat felt, but it felt like it had better power than, let's say, I think it was the Kawasaki at the time. The Suzuki handled better. And then they're like, oh, can you go jump the freestyle ramp? We'd like to get some photos of that. And I'm like, and they, they were all 250Fs, completely brand new bog stock. Um, like, oh, can you go jump that ramp? And it was 75 foot. I was like, oh, oh no. All right, I don't, I can't even remember what the speed was on a 250F. I guess it was just second, pretty much tapped. And um, I'm luckily I greased it. I think, I think the Yamaha that year that I did it had the hardest suspension when I was riding on the track. So I was like, ah, okay, for the first jump, I'll take the Yamaha. Hopefully I can handle it. And luckily I did. And I finished that day and I was like, huh. I just rode all of those bikes on motocross. Uh, there was a supercross track there. And then I went and jumped the ramp and I did a whole bunch of different tricks on every bike. And it all just kind of felt the same. Like by the time I got to four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon, I guess I had an arm pump anyway. Um, but it all just kind of felt the same. And I just, I left there with so much more confidence. And then actually, when I went to go do my first shows in Indonesia, they were supposed to have a KTM 250 two-stroke. And I turned up there and they had a brand new KTM 250 four-stroke. I was like, awesome. So I just, actually the good thing with the KTMs was the, almost everything fits except for the fact that they're two or four strokes. So suspension fits and everything fits and sprockets fit. Um, but I just had to get a toe in behind Sheenie just to, to get that first jump in. But I wasn't even that nervous, like in a completely different country, got to just go jump this jump. And I was like, eh, it, it's actually not that bad. It's not as bad as I used to think it was. So definitely a skill to, to pick up. So yeah, I mean, if you're riding a Suzuki and a Honda, but I guess that's different though. Like, uh, maybe not, maybe not, but I'm just thinking in a way like you'll want to do your absolute best on a Suzuki and your absolute best on a Honda. I wasn't doing my best. I just did what I had to do. <laughs> so maybe there's a little difference there. No, but I can, uh, yes, there's a difference. Like it's mostly the power band and the grab hole positioning. The Suzuki sits a little bit lower and the suspension, the forks are never as stiff as a stiff as a Honda ones because they're air forks. It's an older Suzuki. Uh, other than that, it'll take, I'm pretty confident it'll take me just a couple days doing the switch. Like if I had, if I don't know, if I get called to do a Nitro tour and I got to do it on the Honda, I'll ride a Honda for two or three months every weekend or something like that, whatever. I'm, I'm really, I'm being really hopeful. And then, I get called to the night of the jumps. I know it's going to take me just a few rides to, you know, find my grab holes and get used to power band and then showing up and being able to do all of my tricks again. It's like, it hasn't been like, seriously, it was not a big deal at all for me. Right. Cause this, uh, when I had to do that switch was the week before leaving for Brazil. So I'm not going to lie. I was stressed that it was going to mess my practice, but it didn't like all the tricks that I already was doing. They were all there in the Suzuki, 
ride it on the Suzuki and on the Honda. So I'm pretty confident. Like I've learned and I told myself over and over again that freestyle is 95% mental. If you think you can do it, you're going to do it. So I just keep repeating myself that I'm going to do it and it's going to happen just as I as is planned and, you know, let that 5% take care of itself. Freestyle, I would say freestyle is 99% mental um, because I've only got 1% fitness physically. Um, no, it's 1% fitness, but there's 4% practice too. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, no, there, there's definitely the practice. Yeah, you're right. Um, actually, this is kind of a funny story. So you bought that Suzuki, you know, we we worked out, yeah, okay, we've got all these events this year and, and you'll be just riding so damn much in 2020. And you're like, yeah, okay. So you brought your suspension over, stuck it on the bike in Germany, and oh, you flew go. home with the stock suspension from that bike. I guess Mini got you, right? The mechanic from Night of the Jumps and like Adelberg's mechanic. I guess if people have seen Adelberg winning everything at X Games. Yeah, I guess Mini got you that time. Well, that scary guy by Adelberg, that's Mini. And, and his... his <laughs> <laughs> the, the fact he's called Mini and he's massive, I, I don't get it. Who's playing that sick joke on me? Uh, so... I don't, I don't know. Exactly. They have an aftermarket shock on it. So I bring it to my suspension sponsor, which I also lost. Uh, I bring oh, it to my suspension sponsor. <laughs> and so I like, oh, work on this. This, like, this is the same day I arrived, like the next day. And I tell like, work on this suspension. Uh, let me know when it's ready. I have money now. I can pay as soon as it's ready. So they call me a week later saying like, hey, uh, what kind of shock is this? And I, what do you mean? It's an RMC 450 shock from uh, 2017. So I, no, it's not. So I tried to get a hold of Mini. Uh, I think he tells me like, no, it's a 2016. So I don't know. It's a 2016. So I said, no, it's not. This is an aftermarket shock. Every part that we have won't fit on this. Oh. Uh, so I, I ask him like, what, what are my options? And they're like, well, uh, you got to buy a, an OEM shock and we'll work on it. So I'm like, God damn, I'm going to have to spend all this money plus pay for the service. And I had the money to pay for the service, but not to buy an OEM shock. So I kept on waiting, waiting, waiting. Then I had money. I bought the, the shock. Then I lost my sponsorship. And then I told them, uh, well, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell one of my Suzuki's, so I can can I get that suspension back? Cause I got the OEM shock on the bike already, and they're like, oh yeah, you're gonna pay like a fifty dollar like inspection fee only, and and that's it. Oh, no problem. I went there, paid the fifty dollar inspection fee. They hand me a box, and the box is slightly smaller than what the forks are. Oh, and I'm like, all right, no biggie. I bring it home. I let like a week or two go by because I got, you know, like trying to schedule my day with the work and with my job and the workout and the training and being a homemaker and being a dad, like it, it eats away a lot of my time. And then I finally find myself some time to work on the bike. I opened the box and the whole suspension, shock and forks 
are completely apart. Not one piece is connected no. to another. <laughs> so that's that's awesome. I haven't been able to sell the bike because I need to, you know, reconstruct that fork, and I have no idea how to do it. Well, I guess there's a lot of YouTube videos. Yeah, there is. There is, but uh. Well, if I'm going to sell the bike, I'm probably gonna, not going to be worrying whether I built it properly or not. But <laughs> when I'm riding it, dude, even when I change my sprocket, I spend the next four days thinking like, dude, this sprocket is going to split in half as soon as I power throttle it through the ramp. And that's that's why I pay for a mechanic. Um, I Yeah, like, I mean, I've rebuilt my bike probably three times ever and that was with uh shui watching over me and like just making sure i did everything right and of course i dropped like uh, i think it was like a small pin i dropped it down through the power valve through this little tiny slot he's like yeah just be careful don't want to drop that pin yeah i did straight into the gearbox and i was like yeah what else have i dropped in (laughs) so yeah i don't do any mechanics on my bike pretty much i i send that to the mechanic well, I used to. I used to have my mechanic back in the under reach days, but uh, like I also grew up with like my dad working on my bike when I was racing, until the day he told me, "Hey, son, I don't have enough time to work on your bike. Will you do some maintenance at least, clean the filter?" Which I did, and I did wrong, ended up breaking the engine. <laughs> How do you break an engine by just cleaning a filter? No. I don't know. It happened. And then I was never allowed to touch my bikes again. Passion fingers. And then I had a mechanic for the longest time. So when I, yeah. And then uh, I, I haven't, I'm not that skilled. Like, I mean, I've been learning how to work on the bike, but I'm always second guessing myself after I work on it. Tough work, man. Absolutely tough work. But uh, I guess there's a, you you know, we're talking about different jobs that you're doing, but there's probably the most important job of all, and that's being the mayor of the Action Village. And I would argue it's not a village. <laughs> it's not that big. But uh, tell us about what is the what is the Action Village? So, well, the Action Village is a, it's a project. It's not super. It's not meant to be what it is right now. But it was my project to create. Uh, a Woodward kind of park where I could, you know, do some coaching, not only into uh, FMX, but into BMX, uh, basic BMX, scootering, air awareness, things I've been learning. Like, is I'm not, I don't consider myself a very talented writer. I consider myself a hardworking writer because most tricks have come very hard for me and I have been forced to learn them step by oh, step. Oh, I know that feeling. And, that makes me feel like I could be a really good coach. I could be a really good coach because I've been having to learn slight, you know, differences on your body positioning that changed the whole trick. And and I started like, this whole thing started one day when my kids wanted a bouncy castle for a birthday party. And I told them, how about a little foam pit for you guys to jump your scooters in? And they liked that idea. So I got uh, some foam from a friend that I could use. And I built a small, like really small foam pit. It was a foam pile. It wasn't a foam pit. It was a foam pile in my backyard over some old mattresses. 
that the kids jumped on a wooden ramp I built. Tim came, uh, went by, and this friend that loaned me the foam told me he needed he didn't need it back. So I started growing the foam pit, and with more foam, we had a bigger ramp. And with the bigger ramp, we needed more speed, and for that speed, we needed rolling. And my whole backyard turned into this skate park that we named the Action Village. And it's yeah, it's not a village in the fact that there's not a bar, there's not a church. There's not many houses. It's a village because when I moved to United States, this one guy used to call me Javier Village because <laughs> he didn't know. Like he like quick read my last name, and he's like he didn't read Villegas. He read Village, and that's where he came from. It was it was a joke. It was a joke as like this is you know the village the village the action of the village or something like that because of my last name and we ended up just shortening it to the, the action village. But it has nothing to do with being yeah, a small well, town you... in my backyard. It, that's what it is. But it's a project that I st- I'm still dreaming on to make it happen eventually. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. If not, I'll inert this this weight on the on my kids' shoulders that they have to keep my dream alive and make it happen. I won't let it die. I guess first question is, do you build ramps like you rebuild a motorbike or are they actually structurally sound? Uh, one <laughs> sentence to, you know, answer that would be like, I would ramp, I would jump my ramps without second guessing it as I would second guess <laughs> me riding my bikes after working on them. Fair call. Fair call. That's right. what I would say. Well, has it kind of let's say you you built it like has it brought you closer to your kids or are they at that age now where they're like dad you're just old um get the hell out of the way and let us do what we're doing or how's that working out well i know it's gonna sound weird for a guy that sells candy (laughs) out of a white van with no windows but it got me closer to every kid in the neighborhood (laughs) like every kid in the neighborhood comes here to my house and they ride the ramps. Like now with the COVID thing, it's been really slow. There's not as many kids riding, but uh, it turned me into the cool dad of the neighborhood. Like, like all most of the kids think I'm like the coolest dad because like everyone else has a like a regular job, and I was here every day, either riding or working on the ramps, and and coaching them through, you know, through the the situation of learning air awareness. Like probably from all the kids I've been here. I would say like 90% of them learned to flip either their bikes or their scooters because I taught them. And and I'm very proud of that. And and yeah, like I feel like I'm closer to my kids. Like they went through a stage that I was the lame dad. I mean, I mean not the lame dad, but I was their dad, so I was lame. Therefore, Comes I was with the lame. territory. But now we're closer together. We, we work on the reps together. Yeah, it, it, it comes with the job. And uh, now we shovel jumps at the, at, the, at the dirt lot close to the house. And I don't know, we, I feel like we had a, a real legit connection. They still won't listen to any of my coaching because I'm their dad. And someone else could come from across the street and tell them the exact same thing. And they say, oh, yeah, you're right. But it's also because I'm, I'm their dad. But uh, they, I do feel they, there's a good connection that we created through, through this whole, you know, the Action Village project. 
That's funny that you say that, actually. I was doing uh, a lot of freestyle coaching back in Australia. It's probably 10 years ago now uh, before we moved over here to Germany. And I remember one of the kids who came to the coaching, I think it was when I was over in Perth, and his dad was like a really good racer. Um, But the dad put him into my freestyle coaching because he's like, my son will not listen to me. He he just, and like, I knew who this dad was. I was like, no way. Like, why are you paying money to bring him here when you could tell him probably so much more and, and you can do it all day, every day, every day, every day. He's like, no, my son just will not listen. So it's, it's just better. I bring him here and he's your problem now. <laughs> um, but it was a hell of a lot of fun for me because he actually did listen. So it kind of worked out well. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. I mean, uh, I did the same thing. I When my kids started riding dirt bikes, I would teach them stuff, but they would not listen at all. And it, it created a lot of friction inside of the family. Like, my kids would be, I, I would be mad because they weren't listening. And then my kids would be mad at, at me because I was yelling at them. <laughs> and then my wife would see this whole situation and everyone was going home mad after riding the track. So I actually paid uh, a coach for my kids for like five sessions and we had a great time. It was such peace of mind, even though I would get livid every time this guy would tell them something that I just told them on the last writing session. And then, and I was paying $150 a, a session for that. And then uh, one day my older kid told me like, Oh, I just realized that this guy's teaching me the same things that you've been teaching me. Oh. It's like, no way, dude. Really? Is it? <laughs> so I, I was pumped when he realized that and then we didn't need a coach anymore. But uh, the thing is, like, it's so easy to turn into a moto dad. Like, I would make fun of all these moto dads until I saw myself being one of those freaking moto dads. It's so freaking easy to fall into that spiral of madness <laughs> man honestly i've got no idea i never raced um and i don't have kids so i i don't know what it would even be like to to be a motor dad i've seen it <laughs> i mean we've all seen the videos but uh damn not a good spiral to get into yeah i tell you dude it's a slippery slope yeah it's a slippery slope it catches you super quick like it just takes you getting slightly upset one day and the next day you're a, a madman throwing rocks at your kid from outside the, the track far out because he didn't jump that double man that's tough that that's a tough gig that parenting thing i, I wouldn't know certainly not planning on it but uh sounds like you're doing a damn good job though at least you you worked out that you just got to get another coach in at least that kind of sorted things out um mm. But actually, did you did you have to get one of your kids to play TIMX when we did the the first season of the competition? Like, did they try it? Because I know you're pretty useless with a phone. Um, I guess they had to do it. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, yes, yes, I got them playing it. But uh, then when I started working, because they were playing it on my phone. And I started working. I had to take my phone with me. They they couldn't keep up with it. But uh, yeah, they were a lot better than I was. I could not control the bike at all, <laughs> which is 
I, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. Like mobile gaming is not my thing. So I, I, I guess I wasn't born with that part of the brain. Do you do you play normal games like let's say oh not normal are you like a console gamer or your PC or just not a gamer at all and I asked you to do something that was just so completely out of your depth Let me put it this way but I have never been able to beat anyone at Mortal Kombat No way Only the computer on easy yes oh. I I just suck at like gaming like it's my I don't know. Seriously, it's like my brain doesn't work that way. I suck at video games. Uh, dude, it took me forever to clear Mario Brothers. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I don't know. I don't have it. I, I don't have it. It's, it's not my thing. I, I can only win games that I have, I have the setting on easy. Like I could see everyone like uh, when Matt Skills was the ultimate rage in the, of the FMX industry. I could see everyone like getting all these lap times, and and I was like dead last all the time. It's like it's not in me. I, I don't know why. Like oh well, even the moto games, like you know MX and Leash and all that, I just sucked at them. Well, I guess uh, I guess you might. Maybe I don't have the patience. Yeah, I guess you might be out for TIMX season two, or maybe maybe we'll just put I don't know. Ben in or Harvey Jr. Who who's better out of the out of the boys? Well, uh, Ben right now it's it's another kind of game. He likes to play uh, what's it, is it Roblox a lot and Minecraft. Oh, that's yeah. his kind of gaming st- uh, idea. Harvey, it's more flexible. He he does a lot more of whatever game he sets himself into. If you, I mean, he doesn't do it professionally or nothing, but. Uh, he seems to, in my eyes, he looks pretty good on everything he does. Not only gaming, like everything he does, he seems to have a, a talent to, to you know, grab things by the horns and and turn them, you know, own them pretty good. So he didn't take that from his father then, where you had to work your ass off to get tricks. Sounds like he's got the natural talent in the family. Yeah, it's it seems it seems that way because I mean. <laughs> Well, he already jumped the ramp at 45 feet without letting me know. I sincerely shit my pants when it happened. Really? And the thing is, like, I have this policy. I have this policy to not let my fears become my kids' fears. So when they tell me they want to try to do something that I'm scared of, I always, my, I just tell them, like, if you think you can, you can don't ask me. Don't let me tell you you can't. Like, if you really think you can do it, go ahead and wing it. But uh, I'll, I'll trust you. If you think you can do it, I'll trust your, your instinct on that. So I took it to my riding spot, which has three different ramps. It's, there's a ramp like a, I want to say it's probably like six meters. Then there's a ramp at 15 meters. And there's uh, the regular ramp, which is like, what, 22, 23 meters. Yeah. And he was ramp, jumping the the shorter ramp on a on his two fifty two strokes that Whoa. my dad gave him. But the thing is, like before that, it was almost a year since the last time he rode a dirt bike. Huh. So he's jumping this uh, the tiny ramp and doing like small no handers. I mean, decent no handers for the size of the jump and like basic tricks. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna get a, a little video of this. And as I get on on the angle that the sun is not right on my face that sets me right under the the bigger ramps 
and I'm pointing my camera to get the slow motion video of him jumping the, the shorter ramp and I hear his bike going <clears throat> faster than it should be for the 10 meters <laughs> and he jumps right over my head of the of the 15 meter ramps nice and I did I was not able to record like I froze when I heard the bike coming this fast and I realized what was going to happen I froze and I wasn't able to record anything oh. he greased it <laughs> like like he's been doing it he's been riding every day for the last year and it blows my mind then the next day we grab his bicycle we go to a skate park and he tells me dad you know what I think I could flip the spine and my heart rate goes to like way you know like yeah way over what I can take like I can feel my hands sweating as soon as he says that my blood feels cold and I tell her yeah go for it dude like in my, in my heart, I wanted to like, nah, you know what? Might as well not. It's been a couple of weeks since the last time we rode. But it's like, yeah, dude, if you you think you can, just go for it. And he freaking lands a freaking back foot on the spine. <laughs> and I'm like, God damn, this kid's going to kill me. Damn it. Like, it's, he's making me age faster. But he, like, I know he's good. Like, I know he's good, but he's still my son. Like, he's still my my, my kid. Like, He's taller than me, which is not a, such a great achievement. Not that I said it, but uh, he, but you know, he's still like he's still. If in my heart, he's still on my arms. You know, you know what I'm saying. Like I'm still putting him to sleep, even though like he, I'm pretty sure I couldn't carry him if or life depends on it. I've got two takeaways from this. Uh, first one is, do you now? Think back to what you put your mum and dad through when you started all this. Second, um, it probably would have been better for the guys in Guatemala to call your son to go do that show than you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Definitely. Definitely both. Both are a big yes. Like (laughs) sometimes like when I, I see my kid doing all these things, jumping massive doubles on his bmx hitting the ramp trying to tricks he flipped his uh 85 into the foam pit already uh nice every time that things those things are happening i'm mentally apologizing to my parents for what i put them through all this 30 years and yeah yeah my son would have done a way greater job in guatemala than i did and (laughs) I would have still keep the money though. He would have done a <laughs> yeah, manager's fee. Yeah, yeah. I, I know how that would work. Sweet, nothing. <laughs> I'm still here though. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. Well, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot here at all, but I do look at your Instagram, all of those accounts, um, and you're playing guitar a lot uh, and with, with your boys as well. Adam Jones, actually, the, the music I use for this podcast um, is all from Adam Jones. And it's been one year pretty much since I started this podcast. So kind of feels like I might need to jazz it up a little bit. Maybe keep a little bit of Adam's, like splice it in there here and there. But uh, do you reckon you could uh, send through a couple of uh, chunky, chunky guitar riffs? I don't know what type of... Uh, sound you'd go for i don't know metal punk or something i don't know 
Do you reckon you could do something like that? Well, uh, li- listen, I know how to play songs on my guitar. I don't know. I wouldn't say I know how to play guitar. Uh. But, like, I can, I can read some riffs and play them. But, uh, like, uh, compose a song, it would probably be sloppy. I could give it a shot, and if you like it, you can use it. But, uh... I also don't have a recording studio. Where do you? How do you want me to record this on my phone? It's gonna sound recording awful. Recording studio? Come on, we're not talking professional here. We're talking mobile phone recording. That's not a problem. Actually, Adam Jones said the exact same thing. He's like, I I just play songs. I play songs I know. Um, I don't know how to do something that's my own. And it took him like two weeks. <laughs> He's like, uh, I think this is okay. And it said, honestly, I can't play a guitar. I can play the first 10 seconds of Nothing Else Matters by Metallica because you only have to use your right hand to pluck Because it's an open strings. E. Yeah, it's an open E chord. I, yeah. I don't know what yeah. that means, but yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> that's all I can do on a guitar. And so I was like, man, this is fucking awesome. Uh, and he's like, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> yeah, I could probably try to do something. I'm, I'm more like grunge, punk rock style music. Nice. Uh, connoisseur, enjoyer. I could probably do something like that. Shit. And if I feel frisky, I might even put some drums and bass on it too. No way. Oh, don't, don't, whoa. Don't quote me on that. Oh, this, this is now going full <laughs> professional. If you can add something more to you, like just a mobile phone recording and I'll chuck it in. That would be awesome. I mean, actually, I've been planning on doing that because uh, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because I've been planning on, on on trying to make this video for for Insta three hundred and sixty and try to get a uh, more serious with them. So I want to, sh- I don't know, I want to do something that involves me using the camera while playing my instruments, while riding my bike, and my BMX at the same time. And, and I was thinking like, yeah, but I can't use music that is copyrighted, so I'm going to have to compose something. So might as well do that for you. Man. And try to, I mean, if it sounds decent, I'll, I'll, I'll make it happen. And if it sounds lame, we'll, we'll forget that we ever had this conversation. That's so easy for me. I can, where are we up to? It must be an hour and something that we've been recording. Yeah, it's an hour and 50 or so. So I can easily just go, right. I'll delete the last couple of minutes and nobody will ever know, but hopefully we don't have to do that. Okay, okay. Uh, I decided I'm going to interrupt this interview here. So I didn't have to delete any of that and Javier did keep his verbal agreement. I really didn't know he was so talented, but this is Javier on the lead, rhythm, bass guitars, and also the drums. I think he'd actually do probably better as one of those one-man band guys that are busking in a subway station. The pay is definitely better than riding freestyle motocross right now. Anyway, enough of the shenanigans. Have a listen, and then we're going to get straight back in to this interview. Like now I have a motivation and, and that's one thing I've noticed through this pandemic. I'm a really goal oriented 
person. Like if on a, I don't have a goal in mind, I could just sit and rot on a, on a corner of my house. I need I need to have a, a a goal to motivate myself to do stuff. So now that that I have a I comp I make this uh, this agreement verbal agreement with you, <laughs> I'm gonna have to start working on that. Done. Well, uh, to to add to this verbal agreement, it's Saturday now. I was planning on releasing this video, uh, this video, this podcast on maybe Monday or Tuesday. So what do you reckon? A couple of days, sit down, put the mobile phone on, press record, play a couple of chunky, chunky riffs, send them through. And then, sure. And then, uh, mate, I, I want to see this, sure, this I, thing you want to do I for, what is it? it Insta360, is that the sponsor? Uh, well, I don't, I. Yeah, it's it's they they've been paying me to to make all these promo videos, and they've been sending sending me their cameras. That they they shoot in three sixty and regular video, and I've been playing a lot with those videos. I I love it, and uh, but I don't I don't know if I'll be able to get that whole video going. But I can I know I can probably in a couple of days prepare a little bit of a riff of twenty seconds. Yes. 20 seconds is more than enough that would be awesome no 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 singing though no that, that's not happening oh Just i did i didn't even think of that but now i want to hear it oh please do <laughs> <laughs> no that, no that's that's off limits absolutely off limits i've tried like i had a, a little bit of a grunge punk rock band when i was 17 18 and I thought I could sing, and I was the lead singer of that band. Oh, uh, second guitar lead singer, and I thought I was doing amazing. Like when I, when I did it, because we we covered, we did, we were like cover band for the Offsprings pretty much, because those were the only songs I could learn. And I thought I was like, dude, I sound just like the lead singer. I sound just like him. And then one day I saw my videos like, oh my God, how do you people allow me to do this? <laughs> what you guys, what sick joke you guys were playing on me that you allow me to, for other people to hear me singing. This is awful. And I never sang again. Oh, Not even in the car. Man, that is horrible. Not even the shower. Oh, it's horrible, dude. That... It's so sad. Have you ever heard your, your voice over recording? This was like a million times worse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've had to get used to that obviously with this and, and, and the TV and stuff like that. And it, it's horrible, but I have almost the same story. Only I played drums and, and I was playing with a few friends back in high school. And I remember we were playing incubus, um, drive. I guess. So yeah, I was, oh, I was at the oh back God, on yeah. the drums and I, so I was just like kind of back up vocals for it. And Milton was just smashing it and he, he had a pretty good voice and I was like, Oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm just like the incubus thing. I can't remember his name now. Like, oh, I've got this. And then I listened to it. I was like, Nope, that's it. I, I think I stopped even playing drums with those guys. I, I couldn't even face them ever again. <laughs> oh, it killed um, your musical career right off the bat. Yeah, pretty much. Like we were playing a fair bit. Um, <laughs> and like I live probably 30 minutes from from the high school. So 
I just had to play the school's drum kit when I was in there. And nobody would come out to my house where I had my drum kit except for like my best friend, Ryan. Um, but we definitely had no singing. It was just him on guitar, me on drums. And that was it. And, and, and that, that was it. That, I never did anything else again. So, yeah, done. It's pretty rough on the heart. <laughs> it's fucking rough when you listen to yourself. And you're like, nope, not again. Yeah, it's a dream shattering for sure. It's a dream shattering experience. I guess it's uh, probably getting a little bit long in the tooth for you over there. You're probably ready to go do something on a Saturday and I've just completely wrecked your morning. So I'll let you go. Um, I'll let you think about what what you're going to do for this music. I'm really, I can't wait to hear it. Um, No expectations here, but it better be freaking good right <laughs> no uh thank you so much for for jumping on um again it's not what i planned i would have much rather to uh have done this in person in munich in april 2020 that did not happen at night of the jumps but hopefully august i think it's august 21 we're planning on cologne in germany this year so hopefully hopefully we can do a proper sit down chat and it'll definitely be a lot funnier than this one because normally i'm just cracking up and wetting myself uh listening to you it's just yeah always joking around it's i, I hope so man I'll, I'll i'll make some calls i'll make some calls and try to to convince uh my contact over there in out of the jumps you know ask for some favors and try to get myself over there and do this this lounge in person with the beers you promised me last time we talked about this absolutely well i've i've had a couple while we've been sitting here so i'm gonna have to do another delivery run i think it is freaking 10 in the morning i can't be drinking beers right now Uh, especially when my kids are getting ready to ride bmx i saw them going going to the jumps like ride their bicycles yeah dad's having a beer in the morning I'm trying to be a good example for them through this. It's no problem. Testing times. It's uh, it's the Rothaus Tannenzapfler alcohol-free version. So you don't even have to look bad. It's fine. What's the fun of that? Uh, Yeah, for the morning, so you don't look too bad. (laughs) Got to you. Got to find good reasons here, man. Come on. Yeah, but I mean, (laughs) I I I still I still haven't still haven't developed my taste for beer. So oh well, you. If it doesn't have alcohol, there's no. There's, there's no reason for me to drink beer. <laughs> oh, that's good then. More for me when, when we see each other in Cologne, hopefully. That sounds good. No, thank you so much for, for jumping <laughs> on. It was awesome to have you. Um, and yeah, can't wait to actually do the real deal later on this year. Okay, man. I'll be looking forward to that. Okay, if you managed to get through all of that nonsense and you've ended up here at the end, I'm impressed. Or maybe you've fallen asleep and you've just woken up for the end credits. Either way, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode with Javier Villegas. And I want to thank him for being so honest and candid on what has been a pretty crappy 12 months. I just wanted to check actually the nightofthejumps.com website to make sure I got the right dates and I think I said them wrong. So we have Cologne in Germany on the 21st of August, Basel in Switzerland on the 25th of September and Munich back in Germany on the 23rd of October. The tickets are on sale. Check out nightofthejumps.com. We actually have a fair few potential events all around the world 
But as you can imagine, we can't promise anything simply because of COVID-19 right now. But uh, just keep checking back for news. I'll let you know. Hopefully we get a couple more of these events happening. Actually, in other event news, it's awesome to see some countries are able to get back to work and events are happening very, very soon. In Australia, the Inverted Festival will kick off on May the 1st on the Gold Coast. Then Nitro World Games will be inside the Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane on October 23rd and 24th, which is unreal. And one week later, everyone will be driving 1,000 kilometers south to Sydney for the new date for District X, which is billed as Australia's largest extreme sports festival. So obviously Australia has fared much better against COVID-19 than many other countries. So it's great to see them back home able to get outside and do things. Whereas I'm still sitting here at home in Germany where restrictions are still about as tight as they were at the peak. Hopefully I can get back home and see those events. Time will tell. Hopefully nothing happens in between and those events can run. I want to thank you all for tuning in. And if you have a minute to spare, just do a little Google search and see where you can find the Rothaus Tannen Zepfler beer in your local area. Rothaus have been a great supporter of this podcast since we started almost a year ago. And I can't thank them enough for jumping on board, but also delivering one of the best damn beers I've tasted. But more importantly, particularly for them, to even show me the options of the alcohol-free beers that I never would have thought about before. And to be honest, I'm all about it. If you would like to find out more about the Writer's Lounge podcast, please check out the new website, which was built by Lakes Networking. It's so much easier with website design than when I was trying to do it like 20 years ago. But Lakes have made it easier by just setting it all up and I can just update it almost instantly. It's about as simple as updating Instagram with a new video from Javier or any other guests on this podcast. You can find all the old episodes, any FMX, Moto, Action Sports news, and also a link to the merch store if you want to pick up your own ramp design inspired by it. Let's say Levi's Next Gen Ramp or J.O.'s Ramp. Actually, those ramps, well, actually the ramp plans for Levi's Next Gen are on the website as well. It's simply RidersLoungePodcast.com. Thanks very much again for tuning in, and we'll catch you again next time on the Riders Lounge Podcast. <laughs>